0: If you will turn to First Peter, we are beginning a study of First Peter today that we are going to call weird, and uh, to many that is a weird title, but, but we're calling it that on purpose. I say we're calling it that, I'm calling it that, and I'm forcing you to call it that. So, but everything about, listen, everything about our lives is to be taken back to a person who lived over 2,000 years ago. Who was crucified via cruci- uh, as a, as a who was crucified as a criminal, as a, as a liar? He, he was resurrected three days later, and, and he lives, ever lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. That, that's weird. To, to a, the culture that we live in, that's weird. A, 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 as we look at First Peter, First Peter is going to address the fact that we as believers are willing to suffer with joy. That's weird. That, that we find our identity in a man who lived over 2,000 years ago. That's weird. That, that we have a living hope. That's weird. That, that we are citizens of another land. That our citizenship is not here on this earth. That this is not our home. That's weird. That we live for the glory of another individual and do not live for self. That's weird. That, that we deny self, that we want to crucify sin, that we want to pursue holiness. That's weird to our culture. That, that we submit to authority, even authorities that we don't agree with, that we don't like, that are, that are even bad, that are even mistreating us. Listen, that's weird. That, that we suffer without retaliating, that's weird. That, that we look forward to suffering and because it furthers the gospel. That's really weird. That, that we love disobedient husbands. That's weird. That, that we seek to understand our wives, men, that's weird. That that we live for the will of another. That's weird. That, that we love and serve and seek the welfare of another individual. Even if it's not reciprocated, that's weird that we live that we live out of grace that's weird that that's a quick summary of first Peter. Everything about that is contrary to our nature First Peter is written, and the reason why i I chose it is because first Peter is written to It's instruction on how a believer is to live, is to live in a non-believing culture and to be prepared to face whatever that culture throws its way. We, We live in a world today that is more and more and more becoming opposed to Christianity, aggressively, actively. That was Peter's day. How do you live in that culture? How do you live in a culture that is That is really more and more every day opposite to everything that we believe as Christians. How do you live in that culture and maintain a distinctiveness from that culture? That's 1 Peter. How do we maintain a differentness? How do we maintain a weirdness? That's 1 Peter. And, And that's really why I chose the word weird. The word weird, if you were to look it up, it means this, suggesting something supernatural or uncanny. There ought to be something about our lives as believers that, is, that comes across as otherworldly, supernatural, uncanny. If you were to look up synonyms, it would be unnatural, supernatural, otherworldly, unreal, abnormal, strange, or unusual. That those characteristics, when the world looks at us as Christians, those ought to be ways that they describe our lives. There there ought to be a weirdness about our lives as believers. There ought to be a distinctiveness. There ought to be a a differentness. Even as we said this morning, even in the way we mourn, 1 Thessalonians 14 says, we mourn, yet our mourning is mixed with hope. That's weird. Hope? Yes, hope. And more than anything, what Peter says is that we must stand firm in grace. The source for all of this, the fuel for all of this is God's grace. Flip over if you're in 1 Peter. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. Key verse. Key verse in 1 Peter. Those... Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying, listen, that this is, here it is, the true grace of God. You know what he says? Stand firm in it. Everything that Peter writes to you is sourced in the grace of God. Everything is is capable by the grace of God. Everything is about God's grace, and he says stand firm in it. Do not move away from the grace of God. It is is God's grace, it is the gospel, it is seeing salvation rightly that fuels our willingness and our ability to stand firm no matter what we face, even suffering. And Peter is going to talk a lot about suffering. How do we face it and not buckle, not bend, not compromise, not give in? We do it by looking at the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We, and First and Peter is going to reveal to us, again, hard truths. If you were to look at 1 Peter 2, 21, this, this is weird. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. The, the, the one that we pledge allegiance to, the one that we yield our lives to, was crucified. You know what the Bible says you should expect in following Him? Crucifixion, death. He says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Why? The world hated me. That's contrary to our culture. That's contrary to our nature. Even in 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Jesus says that exact same thing in Matthew 5, 11. Don't be surprised. They hated me. They're going to hate you. Even suffering is sourced in the grace of God. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you. That word granted literally means grace. It has been graced to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but to what? Suffer for Him. Grace. Everything's about grace. And you see it on your handout. The message of 1 Peter is that our lives are not about comfort, but rather about God's grace fueling us to live to His glory in a culture that is opposed to us. Your, Your life, believer, my life, you see it there, are to be trophies of God's grace. Think about that. A trophy of God's grace. Trophy of grace. That's the context for everything we're going to see in 1 Peter. How do we we live through what we live through? Grace. That, That what God has promised will be given. He is faithful. And in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation and culture, how do we live in such a way that still glorifies God, that doesn't buckle that doesn't give in, that doesn't compromise, that doesn't seek to just straddle the fence and live in both worlds so that we can avoid avoid the suffering. We can get all the benefits of this world and yet all the benefits of the gospel. We've been fooled into thinking that's possible. It's not possible. Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. He says, you're going to love the one and hate the other. James 1, he says, friendship with this world, friendships with this world, you know what he says? It's hatred, hatred towards God. Friendship with the world, he says, is hatred towards God. You can't serve two masters. And what what Peter is going to put forth is, is that God's grace is the resource for standing firm in the face of opposition, it's God's grace. And today, I want to look at verses 1 and 2. There, There is so much here. We could spend weeks on this one section. I, I'm going to deal with it today. But really, it sets the foundation for everything else that we're going to see in 1 Peter. Everything that we look at today, everything that we look at for the rest of 1 Peter, everything in your life, no matter what you're facing, is to be traced back to this one thing. And the one thing that I want you to think about today is this, identity. Where is your identity? Where do you find your identity? Because what Peter does, very first thing he does, is takes everything back to who they are as a people, their identity. That identity has a huge impact on everything about their lives. How how do we view ourselves and the salvation that has been given to us by grace? That's the question Peter is putting forth here. How do you see yourself? How do you view yourself? And and I believe that this is foundational. The foundational issue, the, the, the reality of us not seeing ourselves rightly, the reality of us not understanding grace, of not understanding salvation rightly is symptomatic, the symptoms are all over the place, but the real issue is your identity. You have an identity problem. And and what what you see on your handout is what I believe Peter is teaching us and really what the rest of the Bible is teaching us is that we must understand that salvation, this is imperative that we get this, salvation is the giving of a new identity rather than simply the addition of a commodity. Hear me, salvation is an identity change. It is not a commodity. We we tend to view salvation like I view this watch. This watch was given to me, great watch. It was a gift. I love the watch. It doesn't define me though. It's a commodity. It's a great watch. Love it. It tells great time unlike the last watch I tried to use. It's a commodity. You know what? Here's the thing. I can leave this commodity aside. Matter of fact, I can lose this commodity. I don't want to, but I could. Salvation is not a commodity. You you no different than we'll see it in a minute, no different than than any than than other identities. Salvation is, is not something we have, that's a commodity. Again, like this watch or a phone or, or sunglasses. Who in here has never lost a pair of sunglasses? That's why I don't spend any amount of money on sunglasses. It's 100% metaphysical lock. They're going to get lost or sat on. Why, why risk it? Look, commodities are misplaced. They're lost. They're exchanged. They're, you get rid of them. Not Identities. Salvation is a new identity. Everything that we see in verses 1 and 2 revolve around a believer's identity. Everything we see in the rest of Peter goes back to those identities. Two titles that he gives us here in verses 1 and 2, they are identities. Because think about this, look at it, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle, it means messenger. It's somebody who spoke on behalf of another. To those who reside as aliens. You see it? Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That that would be modern day Turkey in that area. Who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. But think about this. The first title he gives is an alien. I mean, we're seeing huge battles, huge legislation, huge arguments over, over aliens in America. I'm not talking about Area 51 stuff here. I'm talking about, I'm talk, that's not the aliens I'm talking about. I'm talking about citizenship issues. And, and what Peter is, Peter is talking about, that, that title, what, what marks you off your core identity has to deal with your citizenship. It's an identity. Because, again, you see it. The audience, and this is huge, you got to understand this, the audience to whom Peter writes, they're believers who have been scattered outside of what would be called their homeland. They're outside of their homeland. He says, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout this region. Ever since the exile, believers, God's people, have been have been referred to this way. They've been located outside of their homeland, outside of that which is promised by the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant. They're in a foreign land, if you will, a land land that doesn't play by their rules that they understand, a, a way that doesn't support and embrace their lives as believers. The culture that they lived in was very opposed. And it's huge because Peter takes that same term that is used for Israel, the people of God, and he passes it on to the church. He passes it on to believers. What he's saying is that the ch- believers, the church, you have been given a new identity as the people of God. They were spread out all over these territories that Peter lists there again, which would be modern day Turkey. They, the reality is, is they, they lived there, but their citizenship belonged in another country. And what Peter is showing us, and and what the rest of the Bible shows us, is the church, believers, we are also aliens because we live outside of where our citizenship lies. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. Peter himself is going to deal with that. Belief in the gospel, therefore, belief in the gospel makes you an alien in the United States. Wherever you live, as a believer, you're an alien. That's not your homeland. And and guess what? Your loyalty and your identity are found, again, in your homeland. Their life where they were was temporary. Their, Their life where they were, that was not where they belonged. Again, the culture where they found themselves was weird to them. It was contrary to them. The culture where you and I find ourselves... It, it, we were in Washington, D.C. for spring break, and there were multiple times where people would walk up to us and say, Can I help you? It was obvious that we didn't belong there. Whether we were trying to figure out the metro system and how to get a card. And it was interesting. I asked a question, and the guy actually said, you must, Just based on my question, he said, You must be from Boston. Nope. Because of the question I asked about the metro system, I'm, I'm, I'm cheap, I'm trying to ma- stretch a dollar, I'm like, can we just get one car, do we all ride this thing? Not, not illegally, but can we put all the money on one card? Or do I have to get four cards and trust that a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old can keep up with a card? Nope. Again, you know what he said? That's not the way we do it here in Washington. That's the way they do it in Boston. That's not the way they do it in Washington. Multiple times, hey, can I help you find where you're going? We're sitting there, you know, just, it was a new land, new territory. It was foreign to us. As much as we loved it, we were ready to get home. Ready to get home. And and the truth, again, of the new identity that's given to us in the gospel, that is a theme throughout the entire Bible. The the new identity again that faith in the gospel gives to you and I as believers, and and I want to give you see on your handout the imagery that the Bible uses to picture our salvation. So you see that these things are identity oriented; they're not commodities. In in John three, John is speaking to or Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says. Unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible pictures salvation as a new birth. When you are born, listen to me, you're, you're given an identity. Not a commodity. It's an identity. 2 Corinthians five seventeen: if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Secondly, the Bible pictures salvation as a new creation. Again, there's an identity. Romans, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. He says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, this is talking about Paul in this context, is talking about deliverance from bondage. And 1:8, he says, For now, there, for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he speaks to that new identity that would allow, uh, allow condemnation for our sin to pass over us, similar to what the Passover was in Exodus. The blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to, the, to the, our hearts, and now God's wrath passes over us, just like it did in Exodus. And he says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons, sons of God, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That word means in in a rare Ross daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. The, the Bible pictures it as an adoption. Think about it. You don't have adoption. You are adopted. It's an identity. Many in here have adopted and have adopted children. Look, you don't go back to a certificate to prove your adoption. Your family proves you're adopted. Your name proves that you're adopted. It's an identity change. It's a family change. Ephesians five twenty two through 23 compares marriage to the relationship that we have with church. The Bible pictures salvation through marriage. You don't have marriage. You are married. You are married. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called sons of God. The Bible pictures pictures salvation as sonship. It's the giving of, of an identity of son, of daughter. Uh, Ephesians 2.13 talks about that the walls have been broken down, that He has brought you into a body, and you who were not a people now are part of a people. You see, salvation, again, it's not a commodity. You have been brought into the people of God, Paul says in Ephesians, into a family. The, the word there is body. You've been grafted in, Romans 9-11, through 11, to the body, of, to the people of God. Philippians 3.20, you're, you're given a new citizenship. Those of you who have traveled abroad, you know what matter? They, they tell you, I never, ever, when I'm traveling, when I'm traveling in a foreign country, my passport never leaves my side. You know why? Because that tells me and tells whoever, whatever happens, this is where Chris belongs. This is where I belong. My citizenship is not here. My point is this. All of those things are identities, not commodities. Think about this. The one thing that marks your citizenship off more than anything else is your birthplace. It's your family. It's your home. That's what Peter is capturing here. That's what the rest of the Bible, none of these ever do you see the Bible, in the Bible never do you see salvation viewed as a commodity, something that you have. It's something that you are. Total identity change. And, and I feel like that's the wrong, the, we have this wrong mindset, and so we feel like th- that's what's symp- symptomatic of all these other things. It's an identity. Like, like I'm married. No, at no time, no place in the rest of my life will I, will I ever be single again by God's grace as long as Karen's alive. I never set aside that identity. I'm, I'm, I am Karen's husband. She's my wife. There's an identity change there. And and that identity change, again, it changes everything about my life. Never again is it just about Chris. It's always Chris and Karen. My life went from I to we to us. It's an identity change. For Karen, she took on a new name. We brought her, the Bashams brought her in to our family. The Amorites accepted me in to their family. Again, that's not a commodity. I am a part of that family. I don't have a partnership in that family. I don't have a friendship. I am in the family. Again, you don't have adoption, you are adopted. You don't have birth, you are born. You don't have a marriage, you are married. You don't, you don't have sonship or daughtership, you are a son or a daughter. And again, it defines everything, it guides everything. We, we never The point is this, we never cease representing our father. There's never anything in my life that I am doing, that I'm a part of, whatever it is, I am doing it as a member of God's family. I don't go act like a fool playing sports and think that only affects me. No, no, no. I, I play sports as a Christian. You don't go to work tomorrow as an individual. You go to work as a Christian. You go back to your home after you leave here as a Christian. You go to your rec field as a Christian. You go to your playground as a Christian. You're going to go to school tomorrow as a Christian. That is an identity that you bear 100% of the day if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You don't set it aside and go, oh, well, that's what I do at work. Or that's what I do when I'm at home in my free time. Or that's at school. You know, you got to be this one. No, you don't. See, commodity, if, if salvation is a commodity, look, I don't want... I was talking to Matthew Ray about it this morning. If, if this shirt is a commodity... Listen, if you make fun of me for wearing this shirt and my identity is in what you think about me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just not going to wear the shirt anymore. You make fun of me for wearing this watch, you know what I'm going to do? Well, I just won't wear that anymore. And that's a very real context of First Peter. These individuals are suffering for their faith and the temptation is to think, well, then I'll just play it safe. And Peter says, you can't. Your identity is in Christ. You are part of the people of God. You bear his name. Imagine for a moment those of us who are married, if your spouse went out even for the night and acted as if they weren't married. Imagine how offensive that would be. Imagine for a moment if I said to, to Bill, hey, would you have married Tammy if Tammy said, look, I will be 100% loyal to you 99% percent of the year give me five minutes a year to do whatever i want and to live as if i were five percent five minutes do you realize that's like point z a bunch of zeros and one i guarantee you he just said not a chance and if he's worthy of that kind of faithfulness huh is not is not our savior It's an identity. It's an identity change. They're permanent. And the picture that Peter paints for all believers is that our culture, the world we live in, is weird. It's different to us because it's not our home. And everything he writes is traced back to the citizenship. That's the why behind everything. It's our identity. It's because where does our citizenship lie? They, they did not notice. They don't get a pass for disobedience because they were in a foreign land. They don't get a pass on obedience because they were suffering. They don't get a pass on obedience because their husbands were living like fools. They don't get a pass because they were suffering. We don't get a pass on obedience. Why? Because of our identity. Our identity. Our identity and Peter's point is that being a Christian ought to make us weird different again go out go out in the go to the mall today i promise you can pick out people that are different that don't belong here in a sense non-americans not that they don't belong i'm not saying get, they weren't born here maybe i got to be careful cuz then i become like hello we were in dc it was very clear we did not. That was not our homeland. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Chris said deport everybody. That's not what I said. <laughs> not what I said. This is how things get south. Every week, every week somebody comes up to me and says, "I appreciate you. How you said that. I didn't say that. Like if I did say that, I shouldn't have said that. That's why I script things." But the point is this: our culture, our culture ought to notice a weirdness about us that is directly source and attributable to Christ and our salvation. The weirdness is taken back to our identity. Just like my weirdness in Washington, D.C. was in, in some ways attached to the fact that I'm used to Tampa. Citizenship. We've been, again, we saw this in Colossians 1 13. You and I, believers, have been transferred from the domain of darkness into a new kingdom. Peter says this same thing in chapter 2. We'll get there, but he says, verse 9. And and again, living stones, newborn babies, that's the whole context here, a new people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Listen, here's why. So that you will serve yourself and live it up. Not what he said. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Listen, for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from freshly lust that warged, wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Everything goes back to who we are. Identity. Why do or don't we do certain things? Take it back to identity. The salvation their salvation was not a commodity that they set aside or they put it on when it matched like this watch, you know, you I don't just put this watch on when it matches the outfit. I wear this watch. It's the watch. Salvation is not something you put on or take off when it's convenient. Based on those who you're around, you don't act one way around this people and act this. No, no, it, it's an identity issue. You know, it was not. A, it's not a commodity. You are in Christ, believer. You are a brother, a sister to Christ. You are a co-heir. You are a new family, new name, new everything, and it, it's about identity. It, it, we saw this as in Colossians three. A reminder, he says. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ, in whom hidden in Christ went like, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him. That is in the context of Colossians 3, where Paul is saying, "Put on the new self. Live for who your new identity is. You've died, believer. Paul says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. Paul is dead. He's new. The new life is lived in faith. Just like Daniel's saying this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us a new identity that becomes the foundation of our entire lives, your identity. It's Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We looked at it a, a, a few weeks ago. Believer, take everything that you face back to the fact that your identity is Christ and live and do in such a way that is honoring, glorifying to Christ. That's working out your salvation. As a Christian, what does that mean about my marriage? As a Christian, what does that mean about my work ethic? As a Christian, what does that mean about my sonship? As a Christian, what does that mean about my daughtership? As a Christian, what does that mean for me when I'm in school? As a Christian, what does that mean for me when I'm at home by myself on the computer? What does it mean for me on the rec fields? That's what working out your salvation means. Taking your identity and laying it over everything and doing that in such a way as First Peter says, that you would declare the excellencies of the one who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We, we've been grafted into a new people. We've been adopted that kingdom ethic is righteousness. It's a whole lot of other things. It's the foundation. And again, Peter is dealing with the universal reality or the universal scope of the implications of our lives as believers. There's universal implications. We have to understand, you don't get married and try to keep a few areas of your life to yourself. Well, you know, I'm going to give you most of my life, but these areas, I'm going to still hold them back for my singleness you know what, I'm going to act like dad, I'm going to act like you're my dad when it's convenient, but you know, when you pick me up and and you're acting foolish and you're embarrassing, I'm going to act like you're not my dad. Now he'd probably like that because I like to fool around when I go to pick him up and these different games we play and stuff, but it it can be embarrassing, but that's character building for him. (laughs) It won't be the last time he's embarrassed by by his dad. Yesterday uh, I was driving and feed our goats and I thought about this even yesterday. I'm driving and I'm going to feed our goats and driving the van because I had to go make an errand and this thing slid under my feet and I reached down to move it and I, I got distracted and I, my side mirror hit a mailbox. I'm like, oh, great. Knocked it off. I mean, I did it good. I did a good job with it. I was proud of myself. But, you know, no one saw it except the one who matters. I went, I went down the driveway, knocked on the door, No answer. Rang the doorbell, no answer. Went back to the car, found scrap paper that didn't have a grocery list on it or didn't have kids doodling on it. I wrote a note. My name is Chris Basham. Here's my cell number. I hit your mailbox and I want to make it right. Please call me so I can make it right. Identity, why? Because my identity. My identity. And you know what? If we suffer for being, a, for being a believer, if we suffer for that, listen to me, Paul says the present sufferings will not compare to the glory that God has waiting for us. And everything about our lives, everything about our lives is, is dictated and, and informed by who we are in Christ. And what Peter is showing, again, vertically, you see it on your handout, vertically we reside as children of God. Horizontally, we reside as aliens and strangers. There's a vertical component and a horizontal component. It's, t- Listen, hear me and hear me well here. Salvation is a total transformation of our personhood. It's a total, that's not even spelled right horizontally, that too. Total transformation, even of our spelling. I put that in there. That's my fault. That's my fault. I, I, kid, I did. I look at my notes here. They put in exactly what I wrote, horizontally. See? Do as I say, not as I do. How did spellcheck not catch that? These computers. That's a good question. I'm, I'm going to go talk to Bill Gates. Total, listen, total, total transformation of our personhood. We don't say, well, you know what, I'll take your salvation and your eternal life, but I want to keep all this area of my life. Total transformation. It's not simply adding a commodity to who we are. It's not just simply, salvation is not you keep living how you're living and just add one more app to the phone, so to speak, or to your lives. It's not like, You know, adding another child or adding another job or just adding another—it's no, that's not it. It is a total transformation of our personhood. It's—it's a transformation, a total transformation of how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see the world. All of it traced back to an identity, no matter the cost. And the temptation is for you and I, believer, is to normalize to our society it's to settle down in our society it's to go along with the flow and allow society to dictate and that's what we saw last week in Haggai to compromise to to get distracted and and begin focusing on the things of the world versus the things of God to have unrealistic fears to unre- unrealistic expectations the, rea- the to, to lose as you see there your Peter is writing so that they would maintain their distinctiveness, but also their loyalty to Christ. To maintain loyalty. And again, he positions, and what Peter does is positions our adoption and incorporation into the people of God, into the very choice of God. And listen... God is sovereign, we get that. But but again, He ties the the whole entire trinity is involved here. God the Father, Son, and Spirit. There is huge security there. God is sovereign, yet in His goodness He has publicly crucified His Son. He's making an offering to sinners... Come unto me, all who weary and heavy, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, repent of your sins, change allegiance, lay down your warfare, lay down your weaponry that once was opposed to me, and come to my side. He, he's extended his hand. Lay down, lay down your opposition to him and join him by faith. That's the offer. Listen, we didn't earn him doing that. We didn't merit him doing that. We didn't deserve him doing that. And yet he did that. To to draw us to him, to say again, come unto me. I'm a God like, unlike, I am a God unlike all the other gods. I'm unique. Lay down your weapons. That's repentance. Repentance. Come come to my side, join me. Fight for me now. And, and that's the Father, he took the initiative to do that. To, he sent his son. But but we're sanctified by the Spirit, he says there. That's more than just cleaning up past sins. That's a new lifestyle, it's a new identity. That expresses itself in practical holiness. In 1 Peter 1.15, he's going to say, You be holy. Why? Because your Father is holy. The Spirit makes us holy. God has declared us holy. He, he, we pursue holiness. That's sanctification. And, and again, it culminates in obedience to Christ. Faith that, that is, that's obedient. We see that in Romans 1.5. Obedience of faith, turning from your old ways, repenting, once you were disobedient, turning to God. Again, it's more than salvation is more than a mental assent to some facts. It's more than you just agreeing to something. It's allegiance. It's the changing of, of, of teams, if you will, changing of armies, changing of families. It's not just me simply, well, I agree that that happened. Okay, so do do the demons. You believe in God? Good. Because so do the demons, James 1 says. It's more than just simply, I think that's actually in James 2, forgive me, but Again, why? Because look at that. He says you have been spr- to obey Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Even this, we're going to see Peter grounds this in the Old Testament. So much of it is theology. And, and you would go to Exodus 24. Go back to Exodus 24 just to see. I'll read it, but to see where Peter, Peter gets this and where he draws upon this. He says, in, in, a feed, in Exodus 24, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. The other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the blood of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What does that blood? It pictures you entering the people of God. It pictures a new identity. It pictures Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That blood being sprinkled on you would be a way of identifying you as the people of God. Of God, forgiven, redeemed, justified, waiting in hope for your glorification. New family. And what Peter is showing and what we have to grasp is the people, those who respond to the gospel by faith, are brought into a new covenant relationship with God. It's not the old one of Mount Sinai. It's a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, that is purchased, that is built on the blood of Christ. Again, that's exactly what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 and 28. He says, When he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." New identity. What the law was powerless to do, namely transform the hearts of sinful people that they would obey God and His Word, now has been made possible through the blood of Jesus. That is what Peter is saying. What the law was incapable of doing, Christ has done. Galatians 3.24 says, The whole purpose of the law, it was a tutor to lead us to Christ, to show us you aren't perfect. You need someone to be perfect on your behalf. You need a substitute. And it was something that was foretold. Jeremiah 31, he promises it. Ezekiel 36 promises it. I will put my spirit in you, he says in Jeremiah 31, and I will cause you to walk in my ways, and I will cause you to follow my statutes. What the law was incapable of doing God has done in Christ, and He has put His Spirit in you, a new heart, new birth, new adoption, new family. And listen, the security here is amazing. When we think of salvation, you, we, and we think of it as a commodity, we, got, we start arguing about losing it. Can you lose it? Can you lose it? Can you lose it? It's because we think of it as a commodity. When you think of it as an identity... That's the one question that doesn't come up. Because look at what he says. It's planned by God. Planned by God. It's accomplished by Christ. And it's applied by the Spirit. Every single member of the Trinity was involved in your, sa- in your salvation. That is amazing grace. That is security. You would have to undo all of that to lose Again, but you don't, you don't lose an identity no matter what. Listen, I will always be the son of Terry and Norma Basham. Identity. I've never, I've never thought about losing that. Listen, even if I lose them to death, you know what? I will always be their son. Even if they lose me to death, I will always be their son. When we grasp this, there's tremendous security, but again, all by grace. And what he says in 5.12 is stand firm in grace.